Coming up, investing in real estate from overseas, the tax benefits of syndications, and what happens when a syndication goes sideways. Welcome to the Military Millionaire Podcast, where we teach service members, veterans, and their families how to build wealth through personal finance, entrepreneurship, and real estate investing. I'm your host, David Perret, and together with my co-host, Alex Felice, we're here to be your no BS guides along the most important mission you'll ever embark on, your finances. Vehicle one, you're clear to depart friendly lines. Roger, Vic one, Oscar Mike. If you're new here, we help service members and vets achieve financial freedom. Our goal is to help 10,000 service members achieve financial freedom in the next next decade. And we do that through a ton of free content and then also the War Room Mastermind community for those ready to take it to the next level. Now, our guest today, Chris Georgie, is an Army veteran who transitioned from the Army in 2019 while stationed in Germany, where he still lives with his family, wife, and two daughters, and works for a U.S. defense contracting company. He's also a member of the War Room, but that's not in his bio, so we're going to not get distracted. Chris always had an entrepreneurial mindset and that includes selling grilled cheese to freshmen, which we're going to dig in at the beginning of this. It is a hilarious story um, about how he created demand. Now he started saving when he was 15 and he used those funds to make most of the purchases in 2018 to 2020. And he always knew real estate investing was his family's path to financial freedom. It wasn't until he read Rich Dad, Poor Dad, as well as some other books that it clicked and he finally began taking action. Now, he made a transition from senseless social media scrolling to podcast, audiobooks, and starting networking on LinkedIn and Facebook in 2018. And he credits that with a huge mindset change that really helped him take that massive action and grow his portfolio from four rental properties to over 36 by the start of 2021. All while living overseas, never seeing any of these properties in person, nor has he ever physically met his property manager, his short-term property manager, or his virtual assistant. Now, he's since sold some of these less performing or lower performing properties and transitioned into potentially lucrative, more lucrative syndication deals. After learning about the velocity of money concept, he enjoys helping others see the value in real estate investing and looks forward to the day that hopefully in the near future, he can walk away from his W-2 and start living on his own terms. This is a really good episode because he's going to get vulnerable and share uh, some downsides of those syndication investments as well. So make sure you stay tuned. Without further ado, our guest, Chris George. This is the Military Millionaire Podcast. Chris, welcome to the show, brother. Thanks, Dave. Super excited to be here. Yeah. I've been trying to get on this podcast for a few years. So <laughs> super excited. Thanks. I'm glad to have you. It's always fun to talk to another war room member. So we're going to jump right into this story because I thought this was fun in your bio. Talk to me about the grilled cheese sandwich and how you created demand. <laughs> yeah, so I was hoping this would come up because it's actually kind of funny. So I always knew I, I wanted to be an entrepreneur or figure out how to make money on the side, right? Outside of my future W-2 job. So I went to a military school in South Carolina, Charleston, which is called the Citadel. Some people have heard of it. Um, when you go to military school and you're an upperclassman, you have a lot of power, right? Especially. 20 years ago, right? So I was there in, from 98 to 2002. <laughs> and so in okay. 2001, I was a senior and I, I realized that I can make some money on the side. And so how I did that was about once every two weeks, it was always family style um, lunches, all the meals were family style. So we, we sit down and all these ladies, they came and they gave us all the food. 
And so they would have hamburgers, right? So all leftovers, usually we can take whatever we wanted. It was, we, we had paid for it originally. So I had the freshmen bring all the butter, all the cheese and all the bread back to my room and I put it in the fridge. And on top of that, I realized they were gonna be hungry no matter what, because freshmen at that school are, are always hungry. But all the yeah. ones at my table, and there was always like six at, my, at the table that I sat at, and I, you control everything they, they eat, how much they drink, whether they drink at all. I mean, it, it's crazy. Like, I don't know if it's still that way now, but back then it was. And so I would give them less food. Right? And so <laughs> at dinner, it was the same thing, and they would get less food at dinner. So there's the demand. And then we had this study. So we had mandatory study hours from 1930 to 2030. And then this was back when AOL Instant Messenger was a thing. Like that's what everybody used. Yeah. So I'd hop on there at like 2200 and I had one mentee knob and I would write him. I'd say, hey, you guys hungry? He's like, F yeah, like we're hungry. I'm like, give me the orders and report to my room at 2230. That's when you can leave your, the, uh, the rooms. So he, he would give me the, the list and, you know, it'd be, 15, 20, sometimes 30, um, whatever I was doing it, um, whatever, whatever night it was. And so I sold him like a dollar 50 or two bucks and him and another knob, they report to my, my room. I beg, I beg, shh, be quiet, get in here, take these orders. And they'd run it down to all their friends and come back every now and then, like another senior would grab one and take it. And I, I'd lose that one. Um, but I couldn't complain because I really wasn't probably supposed to be doing that. <laughs> so I was making hundreds and hundreds of bucks senior year <laughs> when you couldn't have a job, right? So you had no form, form of income. And so basically that's that's the story. And it, it was all free, right? It's all 100% profit. <laughs> I had the George Foreman grills. I think my mom bought it for me. Uh, all the ingredients were, I didn't pay for that. And it was just a couple minutes to grill them up at nighttime. I love it. I, I read that and I was just like, this is hilarious. Like the, the grilled cheese thing itself is like, oh, that's cool. It's a good idea. But then the, like, oh, I also got to control how much they ate. So I didn't feed them as well. Therefore they had to buy my product. I was like, that's amazing. <laughs> uh, the, the Mr. Know-it-all or whatever, Mr. Whatever they, Mr. Wonderful from Shark Tank would, would approve. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Oh man. All right. So, all right. So backstory, how did you get into, so I know you're, you're expat, you're living overseas now. how do you, uh, I don't know if expat's the right term, but you, you know what I mean? Um, yeah. how did you get into investing? Like bring us up to present day from, from grilled cheese sandwiches. What, what's your, what's the story? Okay. So from grilled cheese sandwiches, you know, I had read personal finance for dummies before college, like in high school, I was all about finance. Well, obviously, was, cause after college you weren't a dummy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, um, so I was working, I pretty much always had two jobs. I workaholic because my dad made me be a workaholic. We grew up on a small farm in the Southern deep Southern suburbs of Chicago, like out in the farmland. And so yeah. you, with my dad, you didn't have a choice. Like we had seven horses and so it was work, work, work. And so I was saving money all the time. And I knew, um, I put it into a mutual fund that my dad started when I was 16. Cause that's when he started saving for his, his uh, retirement, which was very late for him. So he's, he got us started earlier. Um, so, so bottom line, I was always about finance and I, I kept on reading real estate is the way to go. So then not to get too long winded, I deployed, I went to Korea. My buddy gave me the purple ham, the purple Bible, rich dad, poor dad. I looked at it. I said, eh, I don't have time for this. I don't know what this is. 
and put it back down. Big mistake, right? And so I didn't read that until 2017. Had I read that in 2000 and uh, what was it? Three things would have been much different. Um, but deployed to Iraq, 2004, 2005, came back and I bought a foreclosure, right? A condo, my company commander's wife was a realtor and I, I knew I wanted to buy a foreclosure. And so we looked and I bought one. I was in an engineering unit, combat engineers, um, but we had a technical engineering section. So think plumbers, carpenters, electricians. And I literally just paid them like cases of beer to come over and teach me how to do like basic plumbing on toilets. I knew a lot, a lot about other things, but like plumbing, I never had a tile at my house. I never had to put lay like hardwood floors. So those, those three things, I had these engineer soldiers come over, show me how to do it. And from there, that was my first one. Uh, met my girlfriend. A couple of years later, we bought another one in Georgia. We went to like four and then we'd be stopped because I went to uh, a couple more deployments then went to Estonia for six months, had two kids. So we didn't have time to do anything else. 2017-ish, um, I knew I was getting out of the army. We were going to stay in Germany. And I was like, okay, I have that mutual fund that I talked about when I was 16. I had like $300,000 in there. They just kept on the market appreciation and then me putting a little bit of almost every paycheck into that fund. So then I read Rich Dad Poor Dad and I was like, holy shit, I should have read this a long time ago. So can I do this from overseas? And then I started listening to Bigger Pockets. I'm going to figure the guy, guy's name, Green. Uh, David. David Green, right? Yep. And I read uh, Long Distance Real Estate Investing. I was like, this is not hard. Um, I already had a realtor in Fort Bragg. And so her and I, we bought my fifth one and that was too painful. She was like, I don't understand what you want to do. I, I don't like you're buying this from overseas. Like she was very old school realtor. So after that, it was such a painful process, but it was, it was my fifth deal. After that, I changed property managers, um, with probably the best one in, in Fayetteville. And from there we went from five to 36 in about two years, a little less than wow. two years. Um, all deploying that, that capital that I told you about, and, but then I did some burrs, I did some cash out refis and just kept on recycling the money until I literally was out of money, which was about the same time that <clears throat> interest rates started going up and the market turned, which, so it was fine. So that's how pretty much I got to where I'm at. Last couple of years, I took some of my, the profits off the table, sold 11 units in, in over two years, rolled most of those, the profit into a, um, syndication deals so kind of what, what they call the lazy 1031 yeah so as you know when you do a syndication the first year you get a negative k1 a pretty big number which is like a 1099 yeah. and that's a passive loss and that can offset the gains on sale of a real estate investment property which is considered passive so i ended up paying no taxes for the last two years on any of those sales um, which i was very happy about yeah that's awesome um all right, so scaling to 36 while overseas is a lot of people would feel like that's scary, which is kind of amusing because people invest out of state, but for some reason overseas seems more sketchy. What are some of the uh, advantages and or disadvantages that you've noticed while investing from overseas? So I'll start with some of the advantages. Like the amount of time it takes, it's actually kind of less. 
Yeah. So if, if I lived at Fort Bragg, I'd be driving by those houses all the time. I'd be checking up on everything. I would be, you know, I'd go out of my, my way, make sure that the lawns are being upkept or when the, when the contractors are in there, if, if it's like a, a fix or a burr, I'd spend m- much more time there than I probably should because I'm, I'm paying my property manager to do that. Um, and she's very good at it. And so now like I don't have the ability to do that. So I'm relying on her. Um, disadvantages if she wasn't good, uh, it, it would be a problem. So you, you got to find the right, right person, right? You can't just ha- call up any property manager or realtor and they're not just going to handle a flip for you, right? They're not going to handle those because they got other things to do. I've, I've been fortunate with mine. She does that on the side. She does her own flips and she showed me pictures of hers. And I was like, holy cow, uh, like mass, like multi hundred thousand dollar flips or, um, rehabs for her own properties so you got to spend some a lot of time doing due diligence and finding the right person and preferably if your property manager and your broker are the same people or the same company that's better because you know there's some there's some uh like a property manager wants to manage the best property in the best neighborhood a realtor just wants to sell you a property right if they sell you something in a class d neighborhood they really don't care because they're getting a commission and then they wash their hands of it now you got to make sure that the private manager is going to manage it. And um, one of my criteria was I need to have the same person. And so there's times she's like, hey, this is a good deal, but I'm not going to manage it for you because it's in a crappy neighborhood. And But you can make money on it. I'm like, don't even send it to me if you're not going to manage it because I'm not like, like how many, I'm not going to get somebody yeah. else to do it. And so that was, uh, that took a lot of stress, stress out of it. You know, I still haven't met her. I still haven't been back there since 2006. And I, I told her, if you find me a 10 unit, I'll, I'm coming back and I'll do the inspection, blah, blah, blah. I found a 12 unit, kicked it over to her. She negotiated everything. We bought it. But like the, the timing, I think it was during COVID and I wasn't able to get back. So, um, <laughs> yeah. That's funny. I, I like that. I think that's a good point because that was what I always said. It was like, it made me really build out my team and, and real build out my systems more than I would have had to, cause I couldn't rely on myself. And so once you get that done, as long as you've got really good people and checks and balances in place, it does, it makes things much less time consuming. Cause there isn't the temptation. In fact, I tell people when I house hacked the first time I, the, the people next door knew that I was the owner. And so even though I had a property manager, they would come to me and it drove me nuts. Yeah. And so I learned like, you know, very quickly, like, don't tell them this. No, nobody needs to know who I am. And then the other thing that I learned was, you know, they would do some, some things that drove me nuts. Like, uh, they built like a, took like a tarp and built out like a canopy over the porch that just looked kind of trashy. And the reality is it was just a way to block the rain so they could use the front porch. Sure. It didn't look classy, but who cares? They paid rent on time. They were great tenants. But when I was driving by that house or living in that house, I saw it and it annoyed me. And when I moved out, it didn't matter anymore. And my property manager kept them in check and they were happy and they had their little canopy and whatever. And so I kind of learned the same thing you did. It's like, man, but, but not being there, I'm not tempted to drive by all my properties and I don't see little things to nitpick and I don't cause problems for myself where they don't exist. And, um, you know, there's some disadvantages for sure, but I think there's, not as much as people say. No, like I, just my personality, like I would get worked up like, like you, like if I had a property and I spent a lot of money fixing it and then I go there and I see like 
trash bags or trash or kids bikes bikes all over the place and they didn't put the stuff away like that would make me mad and i'm i don't need that right the whole thing the whole point of this investing is make it passive and that just knowing my personality it's better for that i'm removed from it and let somebody else deal with it yeah so what about struggles were there any big struggles that you ran into with uh, starting to invest from a distance um you know my manager and i went back and forth like you know, like the five stages of team building, forming, storming, norming, performing a journey. So storming phase, and, and it wasn't like <laughs> bad, right? It was me, us trying to figure out like the research. And I was like, can you send me on the MLS, like all of these properties? And she's like, Chris, there's, there's a lot, like we need to focus you. And so I'd get on Zillow and I look at all, you know, I, all the ones for sale. I put them in a nice Excel spreadsheet, but I was like inundating her and, um, we had, she had to like take some time and, and focus me and tell me like exactly like I was trying, I was very cognizant of her time because she was the owner of the company and she had a lot of other stuff going on. So I was doing a lot of the research myself, but there was still a lot of like links I'd send her. I'm like, what about this? What about this? What about this? Until finally um, we got on the same page and I was better able to know like where, where were the, the no-go areas that she wasn't even going to like manage properties. And then she helped me understand what, like, think about my, what my buy box was. And, um, you know, she, she just did a good job at focusing me. And once we, we had that, you know, when we went from number six to 36, it, it wasn't that, that long. I mean, it happened pretty fast. I was, I was hoping to get to 20 units, I think in like by 2025. And I was like, oh, now oh, the, the 12 unit like and there's a couple fourplexes and duplexes. All those help. What, um, yeah, I, I can't, the property managers, like finding a good one is worth their weight in gold. It's, yeah. it makes your life so much easier. So I agree completely there. What advice would you give? Like looking back, like if you were to start this over, you know, you you'd think for like another another expat or, or, or somebody who's thinking about investing from overseas, what would you tell them? Like, have you ever looked into, like, would you suggest turnkey for somebody who's less hands-on or would you suggest the building a team out or what are your thoughts on like the best uh, approach? So I've actually looked at turnkey myself and I, I mean, I don't consider my, I'm not a beginner. I'm somewhere between medium and advanced. Um, there are some yeah. other markets that, you know, I think I'm a little bit at risk because most of mine are in one market, but you know, it's one of the biggest army bases. So I think the market's okay there. Yeah. Um, but what I didn't want to do is like have to start over and build out another team somewhere else. I just got, I've got too much going on in my life and I really want, didn't want to do that. So I, I was looking into turnkeys from some reputable providers. So that that's the easiest way to get involved. And it kind of like, you're dipping your toe in there in the real estate thing, but you're not taking all the responsibility on. So that can be an option. The other option is I think like, you know, get, getting educated and read, read David Green's book. Um, do the research, get on bigger pockets, research, whatever market. First you got to find the market. Right. And then I think you find the property manager or broker team and then just do your due diligence. Don't, don't go with the first person because they sounded nice or because they told you that they can take care of you. 
like really get references, ask them if they're an investor themselves. Have they ever flipped properties themselves? Like how do they handle tenant evictions? That's a big one. Um, and, and just like, you, you, you know, you can just Google interview questions for a property manager and go off of that. And then just try one, yep. right? Try one and see how it goes. I, I got rid of my, the one I had for 15 years because I was like, it's not gonna work. And so I eventually transferred those properties to the lady I'm using now because we weren't on the same page. Smart. Yeah. I, yeah, I definitely, I'm thinking about buying a house through rent to retirement, um, turnkey property this year. I've, you know, I've recommended them to a few people. I, I know the owner of the company, um, actually our event for the war room in Keystone this year is in one of his Airbnbs. And, uh, I think like they're doing some, some new builds in Florida that they do as turnkey. And it, I think that's pretty cool. So I'm thinking about testing that out for myself personally, but I think it's, you know, it's like one of those things where you can, you can most likely beat the returns doing it yourself in almost every scenario, but it's, you know, it's, it's the old time versus return, you know, equation for people. So, uh, yeah. I think it's a good option for some. So as they say, like what's your return um, on time? And I think you're, you, yeah, I'm sure you have a lot going on. I know you got a lot going on. So do you want to start over? Or do you just want to wire the money, buy the house, and let somebody manage it? Yeah, yeah. Life is life is a, a roller coaster sometimes. So yeah, I'm definitely going to give it a shot this year. Um, so what are your thoughts on? Uh, like you mentioned briefly, using the syndications for uh, defeating the taxes on your capital gains. Is that a strategy you plan on using more going forward, or what are your what are your thoughts on on syndications? I know. Uh, well, I don't know if you want to share it, but I, I know you've you've also had a, a rough go with one. Yeah, so I will share. So, so I first, I don't know, was it 2017, 18? Like I, I was listening to all these podcasts trying to get super smart on real estate investing. And they kept saying the word syndication. And I, I think I ignored it for a year. And then finally, I just Googled it. I'm like, what the hell? I'm like, oh, okay. And then one company, Good Egg, they came up and I talked to them and I saw like all their briefings and I'm like, okay, this sounds good. And they self-directed IRA. So I rolled my TSP over, invested with them 22, 20, 25 months later, they exited the deal, 56% return. So like over 25% per year. And I was like, holy cow, wow, this is great. So I'm, I'm going to do more of these. And, I, but I wasn't really active on LinkedIn at the time. I was a little bit, so I didn't have like the real estate backing that I, that I have now or follower following that I have now. And so there was another one that, uh, another syndicator that was pretty, I would say reputable. And we talked and he educated me a lot on it. So I did a deal with him as a class A guy, class A investor. So that just means I was just pre pref equity, not, or preferred return, no equity upside on, on, on the sale. And I was supposed to be exited out. Like they would have bought me out after a year and it was 11% return. So that was attractive. And so bottom line, I'm up to like, well, I'm over like 15 or so right, right now. And so I, I did a lot of those the last couple of years because it was the single family market in Fayetteville was just like through the roof. It was stupid. And so it didn't make sense to do that. And so the one deal just found out a couple of days before Christmas or after Christmas, that one deal went south and they had to give the keys back to uh, the bank. 
multiple things went wrong with our deal. It was a apartment complex in Phoenix, Arizona. Looking back, they closed on it in November, 2021. Turns out that was essentially the height of the market. I, th I think the cap rate was around 4.5, 4.3, 4.5. And if, if everybody knows the cap rate is like the market rate of what an asset is supposed to go for, nobody can really affect it as, as an investor. It, it's, the, it's determined by the market. The NOI on the property, um, it kind of went down after they bought it. So it was a value add strategy. They missed a big roof. Um, they did the roof inspection, but there was a lot of issues that was missed by the roof inspector, roofing inspector. And I guess they couldn't go after him. So there was a capital raise, which I, I contributed to, which first time I was like, what? Capital raise already? What? What's going on? And so there's multiple webinars we talked through. I was like, okay, it's to fix the roof. Everything's fine. Um, what hindsight being 2020, the property manager wasn't doing well. I think the GPs took their eye off the ball and replacing the property manager management teams. They should have done it uh, probably much sooner. We kept hearing like tenant. Uh, there's a lot of bad tenants. There was more tenants that weren't paying than was disclosed by the original seller. So evictions were hard. This was still during a little bit of COVID and it just seemed like quarter after quarter, they were having trouble getting the, the bad tenants out, the ones that weren't paying, renovating it, and then putting new ones in there. And so it never, never really got better Then, you know, with rates keep on going up, they did buy a two year cap rate. And so when they did their debrief, this is how crazy things got. So they, they couldn't control this. They bought a two-year cap rate, which many operators weren't buying any cap rates back then. So that was good on them. Cost them $100,000. It was, and it was a 2% cap rate. Now this year, when they went to go um, get another two-year one, because it was, it was uh, coming due, the cost of it went up 28 times. So what, what was $100,000? was now 1.4 million for one year. So it would have been 2.8 million for two years. What cost 2.8 million, what cost a hundred thousand. And so like that money wasn't budgeted. And they said uh, the cap rates in Arizona in Phoenix went up to 6.5%. And so when you do the math, I won't, I won't do the math here, but if you know how uh, multifamilies are priced, lost 50% NOI, NOI divided by cap rate, I mean, essentially went, it was like a $54 million property went down to like 38 million. And so yeah. the bank and them, you know, the GPs, they did a second capital call. They didn't actually pull the money because the, the amount that they wanted wasn't met by the limited partners. And so they decided in December to, you know, the, the, the bank made the, the choice, like they weren't going to foreclose. They weren't, they weren't able to sell it to anybody else. And so they just took the keys back and it was, it was underwater. So everybody lost out on all their funds. And that to me was like, you know, 2023 was a pretty good investment year for me. And so right at the end of the year, I was like, oh shit, it was like getting punched in the, in the gut. And I was like, damn. And so there are some, there, there are definitely some, downsides to syndications and i think the it's gonna be a bloody market 2024 
maybe early 2025. Um, interest rates, I don't think are going to come down fast enough to, to save some of these, uh, these syndication deals. Yeah, I agree. I think, uh, you know, people with floating rates or interest only might, might see some rough times if they can't refi and, you know, that'll kind of, I think build on itself, but, um, yeah, that's one thing that people don't often talk about. So I appreciate you being vulnerable and sharing that. Like people don't, people share the wins with syndications, but you don't, you don't often hear about the losses, but I know of three or four that have done exactly this or similar. And you know, downside as an LP is, is you potentially lose everything and you might not even have a say in it. Um, yeah. Which, you know, is, is hard to stomach. Um, is there anything, I mean, it sounds, it sounds like there were just some situations out of the control of the GP, but uh, you know, like market and roof inspection and whatever, but is there anything you can think of that uh, like lesson learned or thing you'll, things you'll, you'll pay attention to in the future for vetting syndication deals? Yeah, great question. I'm, I'm all about AR. So I work at, I work with the army still and at a training center and an after action review is like the number one thing that they do here. And so I've done a lot of it, a lot of thinking on, on this deal. Um, you know, it was a three year fixed rate. And so like anything I do now, like anything, any syndication I've invested in 2023 has been long-term debt, right? So mm. I'm not investing in anything, even if it's five years fixed, that's, that's too short for me. So like I'm in a short-term rental syndication, right? Every short-term rental has 30 year conventional term mortgage. So we're safe there. Yeah. Um, I'm in some hotel deals and uh, I'm in a couple of deals where they've inherited low cost mortgages, but it's like 10 year. Yeah. Um, my hotel fixed. has a 25 year fixed rate. Yeah, that's great. And so I, I would really encourage people to look at the, the debt structure. Um, don't, don't take any risk on anything that's, that has short-term debt. Uh, the operator, you know, he had, he had a very good track record. Like they all show their track record. There wasn't, um, what, what I probably should have done more is more research on the Phoenix market. I knew at the time that Phoenix rents were going through the roof and, you know, hindsight being 2020 probably should have realized, Hey, this is not always gonna st stay this way. Like it, like rents can't keep on going up and, but I don't know if that would have maybe not invest in that deal because I read over, you know, the whole PowerPoint, uh, financial slide deck, everything made sense. Um, I talked to the owner of the company quite a few times and he was educating me, he even recommended me uh, my first deal going as a class A investor, which was the, the least risky one, um, class. And so, you know, to me, it's, you know, having conversations, asking them, have you ever done a uh, a um, cash a uh, I'm sorry a capital call? You ever done capital, capital call? Yeah. Why? Why did you have to do a capital call? What what happened? Because if you did that, you know there's a failure somewhere. So where is that failure? And like what I'm hearing now from the people that uh, the syndicator, like I don't get I don't get the feeling that like the extreme ownership. Like all I hear is what was the market? It was a black swan event. The Fed raised the rates. 11 times is unheard of. I'm like, okay, but there was a failure on your team somewhere. Like from webinars, you know, there's multiple things that were missed or that you guys are slow to react. And so 
I don't hear that at all. And I even sent them a, a few very curt emails about, about that. And what I got back was the standard boilerplate. Thanks. We understand everybody's frustrated. It's the market, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, okay, got it. I'm never doing a deal, deal with you guys again. Yeah. Yeah. It's so. unfortunate to hear. Um, we won't, we won't name the syndicator, but, but I, I know them. So, uh, yeah, it's an unfortunate, um, and no, for those listening, it is not somebody in the war room. So <laughs> no, it's not, but it is a friend of mine or at least somebody I've known for a while since I began investing. So, um, man, a lot of good lessons learned there though. So hopefully this, this helps with people. I think the, the fixed debt and, and, you know, the extreme ownership are both really good points. And I think, uh, I mean, that's going to, that's going to help you avoid the losses in the future, right? I mean, you had some great returns, so I'm sure you're doing all right. But as, as, as the goat Warren Buffett says, rule one, never lose money. Rule two, never lose money. Um, so, you know, it's, uh, it's a hard, hard thing to have happen, but it's also probably some of the best tuition you'll ever see receive in the investing game. So, Hopefully that pays out dividends for you in the long run. But fingers crossed for that one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, all right, okay. So I got a couple questions I ask every guest. Um, this is called the debrief. This is our. I need to come up with some cool music, like what the War Room does, like or what the what the Bigger Pockets does, like you know, I don't know. They have the like, wee quick tip. Um, anyway, so you've been saying, you've been saying that for a few, few podcasts now. I know I'm terrible. I keep thinking I'm going to do it. And then I get done with the podcast and I'm like, Oh, we're done recording. And then I get, yeah, I need to, I need to get one of those boxes that I like push a button and it does the music when I'm, when I'm recording. Um, all right. Anyway, so name a trait that you think sets service members up for success after the military. I'm going to name two, two traits. One being flexible. Like if you think about it in the military, whether you're enlisted or an officer, one day you're doing something, one hour of the day you're doing something, the next day or next hour, hey, drop what you're doing, come over here. Next hour, drop, oh, sorry, no, go back over here. Nope, we got, we got to go do something else. That quality to being flexible and being able to pivot on a day-to-day basis, sometimes even within multiple different top tasks throughout a day is is pretty important, right? I, so in my job, I. I've hired a lot of people. I'm a manager. I got like 30 people that I, I manage. I have managers under me. The ones that do really well, most of them are, are all veterans. There's some who aren't, but um, at least in my previous job and the ones who weren't, when you, when you work with the army, right? The army tells you what to do. And sometimes they change their mind at the last minute. If, if, if you can imagine that, right. And <laughs> as contractors, we have to do what, what like we're, we're on contract to do. And sometimes it's pivot within hours. And I often had str- struggled with people, some of my team who weren't in the army and then they, they just start running their mouth and they, they couldn't wrap their head around. Well, I was doing this. I can't do Y until I get done with X. I'm like, you need to stop X and go do Y because that's where like the main effort is. Like that's where our focus is right now. And that's what we need to do. Well, no, this is stupid, blah, blah, blah. And all the army guys are like, yeah, sure. No problem. Roger that. Moving <laughs> out. And so um, for me, I, I've just seen a lot more. I'd much rather work with people that can do that. And veterans all seem to be on the same page. Um, the, the other thing I would say is looking for people who can solve problems, right? So 
I want to work with people who can solve problems and ones who can anticipate that there's going to be a problem. So it's like, I see the iceberg coming. I'm on, on the Titanic. I, I've worked with people who's like, well, well, I guess we're just going to hit it. And I'm like, well, no, we don't have to hit it. If we start doing something now, we can avoid it. And for some people, again, some of them were veterans, but they're just hard-headed. And they're just like, nope, that's not my problem. I'm like, it's going to be your problem. It may not be your problem right now, but we're going to hit that iceberg. And then it's going to be our problem. And so people that can solve problems, and a lot of military guys, regardless of the rank, that you know they're asked or either directly or indirectly to solve problems. And so I think people, a lot of veterans don't realize that capability or they may not appreciate it maybe until they get out and then they're like, oh, I, I am a problem solver, even though I'm a what, whatever rank. Yeah, I think that's a huge one. Uh, one of my good friends and business partners, Hugh, uh, I have him kind of whenever I'm hiring people, I have him come over to one of the interviews to hop in with me to spot check because he's got a whole lot more experience hiring than I do. And I'm a, I love people and I tend to trust people too much. So I'm like, okay, buddy, please help me just spot check. And one of the games he always plays, he always asks them, he goes, I'm thinking of an item in this room and you have 20 questions to figure out what that item is. Go. And so what he, what he's looking for essentially is some people will be like, is it that can, you know, is it that pair of, blue blocker glasses, whatever. And other people will go, is it on my right? Is it on the left? Is it on this table? And he's looking for that because he's looking for, do they think through problems as like weeding things out to really narrow it down? Or are they just going to aimlessly be like, is it that? How about that? What about that? Because there are people out there who just don't think in the same way. So I think that's, yeah. I think that's super valuable. Problem solving is huge. Um, What's the dumbest thing you've ever purchased? So I, I'm not saying this is dumb, but it was an expensive purchase for me at the time that I shouldn't have done. Uh, again, got back from Iraq in 2000, late 2005, I think. Yeah, late 2005. I was driving a red Firebird T-top. I loved it. It had like Italian flags all over it, like because I'm that's my ethnicity. Yeah. It was great, but it, it was dying. And so I didn't even think to buy a new, a used car. Um, so my buddy's like, and I, and I was looking at like a Toyota or a Honda or something economical. My buddy's like, why don't you buy an Acura? And I'm like, what the hell is an Acura? I never heard of that. So I looked it up and I bought, I ended up buying an Acura TL 36,500. A couple of days later I was in Best Buy and they had a, this is when the plasma TVs came out. Like, so 42 inch plasma was huge back back then and there was a 60 inch i think dlp so kind of a, a thicker one and it was on the floor it had been returned um but it was like three thousand dollars so i'm like i'll take it because i need a 60 inch in my little apartment <laughs> and then um so, so yes yeah, so both of those were were pretty dumb purchases like <laughs> back to back on top of that then i bought the foreclosure so it was like a hundred thousand dollars within months of being back and i'm like what am I doing? Yeah. Thankfully, 50,000 of that was real estate. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That balances it out. What uh, what do you think is the smartest purchase you've ever made? So I think it's going to be that 12plex I was talking about. Um, you know, I just found it on Facebook, a North Carolina Facebook marketplace uh, group that I, that I was on. 
I saw it, it said Fayetteville, and I looked at it, did some research, kicked it over to my, my broker. Turned out it was a wholesaler trying to wholesale it from the owners. They didn't know about it, so they didn't appreciate that. <laughs> and I ended up getting it. And so my note will be due in 26. So I have a, a few more years for the market to play out. And I think I should easily 2x from what, what I bought it for. Um, of course, I only put 25% down, right? So I'm, I should have a pretty healthy return. Yeah, that'll be awesome. Name a book, podcast, or resource that has made you into either a better leader or investor. Okay. So for the better leader, the, the two books that I, list, I, I listened to very late in my career, but still very formative was um, How to Win Friends and Influence, Influence People by Dale Carnegie. Mm. And then, of course, Extreme Ownership by Jocko Willink. Uh, both okay. of those, I encourage everybody on my team to read both, both of them. There's some guys I, I get directive. I'm like, you need to read this book because you you, you have a problem with taking ownership. <laughs> and then, um, yeah, I, I, I'm to the point where I'm just more, being a bitch. more with people. Yeah. And then I, I, I make my people. employees read Extreme Ownership when I hire them as well. That's great. Yeah, I, I think it's... It's, it's, it's such a great book. At first I was like, that's not that guy's fault. I mean, it's, how can you blame it on this guy? And then I really started like, let me, let me understand this. And I'm like, ah, so now like every time we have failure at work, I mean, we don't have failure, but anytime something goes wrong, I'm always like, before I even start blaming anybody else, I'm like, okay, what did I do wrong? And most of the time I never have to talk to anybody else. So I'm like, okay, well, this is my fault because I didn't do X, Y, or Z first. And so it's, it's just a great book. And I just want to get a shout out to um, the better investor, better person or better investor is Millionaire Mindcast. I don't know if you listen to that one by Matt, Matt Hayes. Matt Aitchison is, you don't even know this, but Matt is my performance coach. I pay him right. $1,750 a month for uh, coaching calls for the last six or seven months. He's a, I love that dude. Yes. Yes. He's, I just started, I just found it like six months ago and I'm addicted to all of this. I mean, I, I think he's he's helped me stay up to date on the market, on real estate, on the Fed. I mean, the guy just knows a lot, and so he's a great that's guy. One of my favorite ones. Yeah, yeah. Matt Mattier is is the man. I love him. He's always wearing his uh, girl dad hat when we're on the on the phone. He's always doing yoga oh, really? with his kids, and yeah, he's a great dude. He's solid. Good, good dude. He's a uh, I got connected to him. Well, I mean, I'd, I'd known him. Actually, it's funny. Uh, probably four years ago now, I co-hosted as a guest an episode for the Millennial Real Estate Investor with Dan Mackin. And the guest was Matt Aitchison. And I had a really good interview. And I was like, wow, this guy's really cool. And at the end, he was like, you know, how can I help you guys out? I just had a really good impression from him. And then later, I found out he was in GoBundance, which I'd always wanted to join. And then I finally got to meet him in person at a GoBundance event. And then uh, I asked my buddy Diego Corzo because he's got a performance coach and he's very similar niche to me. And I was like, who's, you know, who do you recommend? And he's like, oh, this guy. I'm like, oh, shoot. I know him. So I reached out yeah. to him. And yeah, I've been working with him for six, seven months. And he's just, he's very, uh, he's tactical. He kicks me in the pants when I need it. So he's, he's good. Yeah, I love it. I can see that. Great dude. Yeah. That's cool to have him shouted out. Uh, where can people find out more or reach out to you if they'd love to get in touch, touch and uh, talk to you? So I'm on LinkedIn and 
like that's the best way i'm pretty i'm not gonna say i'm super active i'm a i'm a closet scroller i guess so i'm not commenting on it <laughs> or I, I don't uh, have a lot of original um comments right but i'm following all the real estate stuff and so when there's somebody says something great or something controversial i'm definitely hopping on that but yeah reach out to me that's that's where i'm at and that for anyone listening who does not know is c-h-r-i-s-g-i-o-r-g-i chris georgie now they'll now they'll find you, although we'll have some link to it in the show notes. Um, is there anything we missed that you want to cover? I feel like we I feel like we've been kind of all over the place, but I think that's good. Yeah, um, I would just say, uh, you know, I think one of the questions you usually ask is like, what 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 should somebody do right now if they, if they wanted to get started? And so, oh yeah, you, you know, you that. know this better than I do. I skipped that question. That should have been right before. Where can people find out more about you? So, let me, <clears throat> someone's <laughs> listening to the show and they want to make more money instead of consuming another podcast episode. What should they do next? That's okay. a great question. Let me think about that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm glad to know you. Uh, you listen to the show. That's. <laughs> I was prepared before I left work. I'm I was the like, worst host ever, apparently. Skipping no. questions. Oh, you know what it is? There's five questions, but apparently on your sheet it is labeled one, one, two, three, four. Instead of somehow I must have messed something up while I was getting everything ready for the podcast. So I'm like, oh, that's the last question. Nope. I saw that. I was like, oh, one, one. Hmm, yeah, I got a QAQC. This. <laughs> no, so, so, so I would say. Um, so. I'm not sure if this is basic, but looking back on it, like I would tell somebody, you have to get a hold of your finances. And for as long as I'm not pointing the finger at anybody, but I'm pointing it back at myself because it was just this year that I re I created a new spreadsheet where I have like on the top every month of 2023, right? And on the left side, I have all my business accounts. I have all my property managers. I have any kind of asset, which is going to put money into my, my bank account. And then I have all the expenses. So the LLC checking account, the LLC credit card times two. Um, and then I have all of my syndications. And then I have my high yield savings account because it gets interest. And then I have my stocks because it pays dividends. Then I have, I think I said all, all the syndications. And then I have all my personal stuff on there. Right. And then I have a row that says, it, it does all the formulas, it adds everything up. How much money would I have if I didn't have a W-2 job and my wife didn't have a W-2 like we weren't working at all? would the passive income uh, cover all of our expenses? But so, so somebody doesn't need to get that detailed, but what they need to do is figure out how much money they got coming in, where is it going? So if the expenses, like the living expenses, which you have to pay, and then like the partying expenses, which are just, you don't have to, like, you don't have to spend that much money. And then do you have any investments? So you got to track all that. And then what's left over and what are you doing with that money? And so I would recommend they automate it as much as they can. Like what I do is I have a high yield savings account, American Express is pays 4.35 right now. So in my USA checking account twice a month, all I transfer a set amount of money. It just, it just happens. Right. And it just goes to the American Express account. And once that account gets to a certain level enough to do another investment deal, then I deploy those funds. But if, but I didn't do that until earlier in 2023. So 
all the time I was investing, I was kind of like, I don't know, I was all over the place. I was like, okay, I, my checking account has this much money. Let me now let me transfer it. Where I got really intentional, really tracking what's coming in, what's going out, really reviewing the credit cards, finding out some things that we were being charged that I forgot, I didn't know about, canceled all those. Um, but get a hold of your finances first and start and really understand what you have coming in, what you have going out, how much can you save, and then and then get after it. I think that's great. Yeah, I think uh, laying the foundation, paying yourself first, and just knowing where your money goes is, if you don't do that, it doesn't matter how much money you're bringing in. Yeah. People I, I think at all incomes are... live paycheck to paycheck. Yeah, I, I don't know how they do that, yeah. But I think a lot of people, like I even thought, I thought my expenses were X and they were like X times 1.5. And I was like, what the hell? Like, and it wasn't until I, I got into the statements and I'm like, oh my God, okay. If that's what it has to be, that's what it has to be. But <laughs> you got to like, ignorance is not bliss when it comes to investing. Yeah, yeah. No, for sure. It can creep up on you. Um, yeah, that's a great, great, great point. Chris, thank you so much for being on the show. This has been a lot of fun. It's been good. Thanks thank for, you, uh, I appreciate the vulnerability and, and, you know, being, uh, going, you know, sharing the struggles that we all go through. Well, I appreciate everything you do with the war room and for military veterans. So thanks. Absolutely, brother. Have a great day.